If you or someone you love has been held hostage in a convenience store, you may be entitled to financial compensation. I'm a lawyer. Look at my suit. Ba-dow. Hostages with a lawyer get nearly three times as much money as hostages without. That's true. That's I looked it up. Call the law office of Dewey Scrum and Howe. We're yeah, ready to represent you. Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's time to watch another movie. I'm Mike McDonald. That's Jesse Stratton. Hey, how's it going? Today we're talking about the 1994 black comedy SFW. And this is black comedy. There's not a whole lot of comedy to this. I mean, or what comedy there is, is very, very subtle. Yeah, it's uh, really tight-lipped sarcasm. Yes, it's more (laughs) absurd than comedy. Yeah. This is based on a novel by Andrew Wellman. The movie explores themes of instant celebrity, paparazzi, and unaddressed trauma. The director, Jeffrey Levy, stated that he wanted the movie to parallel the rise and death of Kurt Cobain. Yeah. And I can see this, except that, you know, there's, you know, there's not the the mental illness that so closely parallels artistry. There's um mild alcoholism but not the illicit drug use that that kurt cobain was famous for but i i can kind of see what what they're getting at here is is here was this great artist and then he became famous and you people in the fame industry killed him yeah movies rated r runs an hour and 32 minutes long it has a 12% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 49% audience score. Yeah. And, I mean, this is one of those movies that if you walk into it cold, you're probably going to hate it because, you know, it's not Romeo and Juliet. No, far from it. Uh, but it kind of comes off like maybe Romeo and Juliet. Also, like, this is like one of those movies that was pushed by soundtrack yes the movie studios are like man what the hell is this how are we gonna sell this and we're like soundtrack so yeah the uh, soundtrack is basically um the uh billboard top 100 for 1994 yeah uh there's like the birth of grunge in a cd they're like uh I, I remember like back in the day they used to have websites uh that were for the movie for specific and they would have like little java games on it yeah you know made for the movie and this was like one of those movies it had a java game that was like a prequel to the movie which was like a doom clone but we'll get into that later yeah it it was weird that that sounds weird we don't have budget numbers for this movie because it didn't have a wide theatrical release it did receive an, an extremely limited release and managed to gross $63,513 at the box office. 
I'm guessing that's all. The like, soundtrack alone to. cost more than that. Yeah. So, yeah, commercial failure, deep story presented in a shallow way, and it just went over a lot of people's heads and just hit people wrong. Roger Ebert, along with various other critics, listed as their primary complaint about this movie, the annoying main character. That's what sold me. (laughs) (laughs) And and I've got to agree, this guy is annoying as fuck. Yeah. Until you realize that, you know, it's an unreliable narrator story. Yeah. Plus, he's like 19 or 20 years old. Yeah, he's 20 years old. Everybody at that age is an annoying piece of shit. I don't care who you That's are. That's correct. You know, I don't care your breeding or nothing. When you're that age, you you got a big head and you just became free, air quotes, free in society. Yep. So you're going to be annoying. And this guy Absolutely. is like Bugs Bunny levels of annoying. Roger Ebert said this is the kind of movie that inspires Generation X to lie about their age. But... All right, yeah, he was he's right on that one. I'll give him that one. <laughs> Movie was directed by Jeffrey Levy. This was the third director credit from him. He directed a bunch of TV, including the Jerry O'Connell sci-fi series Sliders, which I absolutely loved. Dude, that show was so awesome. Me and my dad. It was like, amazing. Every episode. And the professor went on to be Gimli. Huh. Wasn't he in Indiana Jones and all that shit? He was in The Last Crusade, and he was in the first three Lord of the Rings movies as Gimli. Yeah. He's been in everything. That guy's like a big actor. Of course, he spent seven years in dwarf makeup making Lord of the Rings. So John Rhys Davies said he would never do another, never accept another role that required uh, prosthetic makeup. No. (laughs) That'd be enough. That'd be enough. It's weird, though, because like, I remember what he looked like before those uh, Lord of the Ring movies, right? Right. And then, like after all those Lord of the Rings, he don't even look like the the same person. It, it looked no. like he really killed. Him. I mean, granted, it was like eight years later or whatever, but yeah, no, nah, he he looks like completely different. Jeffrey Levy also directed a bunch of mainstream television series, including CSI, Rescue Me, Monk, and The Ghost Whisperer. Movie was written by Jeffrey Levy and Danny Rubin. Danny Rubin is known for, get this, Groundhog Day, Freaky Friday, and Hear No Evil. Oh, man. Talk about some classics, right? So uh, this, is, this is the way I figure this. Jeffrey Levy had a script. Danny Rubin was brought in to make it acceptable. Yeah. The studio's still getting, they still didn't get their penny. You know, they, they no. still didn't get the money. They, they tried. The same um, way they bring in a comedian just to punch up a script and make the yeah. jokes a little funnier. Which they just, they take their set and then they say, oh, I could put this joke here. Yeah. Like, man, I heard that in your set from like two years ago. Director of photography, this surprised me, Peter Deming. He's known for Scream 2, 3, and 4. Austin Powers in Goldmember. Twin Peaks. Another Jerry O'Connell vehicle, Joe's Apartment. Love Evil that movie. Dead 2. Drop Dead Fred and My Cousin Vinny. See, I love like most of all those movies. And, it, it, you know, the movie does look good. Yeah, the movie looks great. It's got like this weird mid-90s kind of dreamy, kind of like, yeah, Twin Peak. Yep. Kind of atmosphere to it. I mean, there are there's a couple bits that are ripped straight from Jay and Silent Bob, but yeah, they're they're minor enough that you go, 
oh shit that's jay and silent bob oh wait we're back in the movie now yeah well that's, that's kind of like what was big you know because like that's when like that whole independent like film scene like quentin tarantino came out ken smith came out right yeah you know, this was like oh those people are gonna go see movies we'll we'll slide this movie in there there we go an art direction by Philip Messina, best known as a production designer on the Hunger Games franchise, Oceans 11, 12, and 13, Aaron Brockovich, 8 Mile, and Freaks and Geeks. Love Freaks and Geeks. Who doesn't? Uh, Disney, <laughs> man, y'all don't know what you did when you canceled that show. Yeah, I'm, I swear, like, Disney canceled that show, and then Judd Apatow was like, that's it. I'm invading Hollywood. I'm going to make every one of these guys a star. Yeah. Whether it's for the good or bad of the industry, I don't care. And yeah, we're still dealing with the consequences. Movie star Steven Dorff is Cliff Spab. Hell yeah. Uh, he's mostly a character actor. He's had appearances in Roseanne, Family Ties, Married with Children, Rescue Me. He played Mike Pucci in Space Truckers. That's episode 13 way back in 21. Yeah. I love that movie. <laughs> when he was a kid, he was in The Gate. He was in The Gate, yeah. That's like one of my favorite movies growing up. He also appeared in Blade, Zoolander, Leatherface, the HBO series True Detectives, and the current season that just wrapped up of The Righteous Gemstones. Oh, he kills in that fucking show. Yeah. He's great. I, I think that's, that show's kind of going to be like a comeback springboard for him because he's, he's kind of slumped. Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, Blade. If you want to be a comic actor and you get a role in a Danny McBride project, you're you've you got it made. (laughs) We Reese Witherspoon as Wendy Fister. Reese Witherspoon, of course, from Cruel Intentions, Legally Blonde, Walk the Line, Big Little Lies, and more recently, she was credited as a producer for TV and film. Including where the crawdads sing. Is that any good? It, I'm told it's good. I haven't seen it. Uh, my mom used to see her like all the time. Reese Weatherspoon. Yeah. Uh, my mom worked at Kroger's in uh, Green Hills, and like Reese Weatherspoon. Oh yeah, was, like, yeah. She went to Hillsborough High School, didn't she? Yeah, she did. So like, uh, man, I, I should have got her autograph. <laughs> yeah, she's she's <laughs> great. Uh, I loved her. Like, she's good in anything. She really is a fantastic actor. And I mean, and like I said, she's she's kind of moving more away from acting and into production now. Well, that's where everything's at, isn't it? That's where well, the money is. Not right now, but like, you know, with the strike. But, you know, right. when there's not a strike, that's where the action's at. That's where the money's that's at. That's right. Joey Lauren Adams as Monica Dice. She is one of those actors that you see her and you go, holy crap, where have I seen her? You saw her in Married with Children and Biodome and Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back and Veronica Mars and Dazed and Confused. Yeah, that's she will ever be like Dazed and Confused chick. She's she's mean. She's the head mean girl. Yes. And uh, yeah. And this was kind of interesting. Jake Busey is Moro Streeter. Yeah. He is, of course, the son of Gary Busey. And has appeared in Starship Troopers, The Frighteners, Enemy of the State, Stranger Things, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Ray Donovan, and From Dusk Till Dawn, the series. Which, that that was a, an all right series. I liked the first season. It was really good. I didn't see any of it. 
it, it was it was pretty good. Uh, uh, it was like they took the movie and made it a TV show, and then changed it, like changed the storyline, like how it should un- unfolded. Okay. It's like the first three episodes, you're like, oh, this is kind of like the movie, but a little bit more, you know, character driven and stuff. It was like, a really imaginative movie. Oh yeah, but then like it For gets a vampire the, uh, formula. Yeah, it was pretty imaginative. Oh, yeah. Because you think it's going to be like a slasher or something, and then it gets to the bar, and then it becomes a vampire movie, and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Also, like, part zombie movie, because, like, they're, like, locked up in, like, the fucking one, you know, building, and then there's hordes of vampires attacking them, so it's like... Yep. I don't think I've ever really seen hordes of vampires getting... Like, it's usually, like, one or two Draculas that you gotta kill. Right. Movie opens up late at night. Cars pull up into the Fun Stop convenience store. We get voiceover by Cliff Spab explaining just what the hell is happening. Cliff and his buddy arrive. This was dumb. They get out of the car. They run to the back of the car, jump on top of the car, run over the car, hop off the hood, and then go in the convenience store. Well, because it's like a Friday night and they're young and they're about to get drunk. Okay. You know, we've all been there, Mike. Come on, man. Like just doing shit. You know, young and full of vigor and stuff. Yeah, like, and light enough to run across the hood, the top of a car without caving it in. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I ain't never, you know, I don't know, I've never done that. But like you know, Chinese fire drills or whatever, you know. Well, true. Yeah, you just do stupid shit when you're young, man. Well, they've come here to buy beer, and they ended up being held hostage for thirty six days. The hostage takers were videotaping everything, he thought. What he didn't know was that the entire thing was being aired on network television. Then we get a camera shot of a filthy Cliff Spab and Wendy Fister. Wendy is listing the convenience store food that's available for dinner until Joe and Wendy argue about whether or not she ate the last bag of gum nuts, (laughs) legally distinct from beer nuts. (laughs) They are being held hostage inside in the back room of the fun stop, which has looks like it's just been trashed. But they've been in the back room of the fun stop for a month. So this is probably just empty stuff that they've they've emptied the boxes and just threw them in the corner. And now they've piled up. Cliff is doing some really bizarre charade of a family argument as he tries to calm down Wendy and Joe. Yeah, it's like. Like all in the family, but really dark, and everybody's cussing. Yeah, as long as you live in my fucking house, you're gonna play live by my fucking rules. Oh, Archie! Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Wendy starts crying, and and Joe tries to apologize, and then Joe suggests that they just have another beer. Wendy gives Joe the last beer, and he drinks it, and she says, "No, really." That is the last beer. There's no more beer. Oh, that's bullshit. Well, that's when Spab says it's showtime and moons the camera. Joe knocks down one of the gunmen, gets his gun. The camera swings around to Joe just as Joe shoots the cameraman. And then we get opening credits back by Soundgarden's Jesus Christ Ode. That's where that java game started was where you you run out of beer and you got to shoot your way out of the gas station okay and i think it had like a really fucked up meaty version like a do 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 like of uh jesus christ post 
Also, oh, well, Jesus. It, well, okay. Like an eight bit it, sound garden. Yeah. It, it like, it was all <laughs> like two notes, but they were like, <laughs> but if you love sound garden, you're going to love this movie because they're all over it. Oh yeah. On TV, Ted Koppel is explaining more about the fun stop hostage crisis as Spab watches from his bed in a flower filled hospital room. He has been shot in the shoulder. The Ted Koppel clone is played by John Rourke. John Rourke appeared in Naked Gun Two and a Half and The Silence of the Hams as George Bush. This guy does celebrity impersonations as his career. He was in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air as Ronald Reagan. He was in The Weird Al Show as Clint Eastwood. He will return in this movie as a clone of Larry King, Phil Donahue, Sam Donaldson, and yeah. celebrity lawyer Alan Dershowitz. I I thought it was so great that they they just they get one actor could do all that shit, and he doesn't. It was well. fantastic. And the, and his his news guy voices are are spot on. His Phil Donahue is perfect. Oh, that's perfect. The face the expressions and shit when he's Donahue. Yeah, it was like you were watching Donahue. It was fucking. It was eerie. But yeah, I remember when he was George Bush and shit. Like that guy was like the greatest George Bush. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. Well, apparently a group called Split Image took Cliff, Joe, Wendy, and two others hostage and threatened to kill them if video of the hostage was not aired uncensored on primetime TV. Two of the hostages, Kim Martin and Milt Morris, were killed before networks agreed to air the videotapes. Cliff, Joe, and Wendy have become celebrities with Cliff being hailed as the hero for risking his life to save Wendy. Unfortunately, Cliff's buddy Joe was killed during the escape. Details at 10. <laughs> <laughs> this is the, the hostage part of this is secondary to the aftermath story. This movie is about the aftermath. Yeah. It'll give you enough of the story of what actually happened to highlight the unresolved trauma that Cliff Spab is living with and enough to make the story make sense. But that's really all just secondary. This is about their life after the hostage crisis is over, which if you think about it, anybody who has been rescued from a house of horrors we hear about them for a couple of weeks and we never hear about them again. Know nothing about their life except for the week that they do the uh, press circuit and then they disappear. Yeah, they so just we get, get a, a nice long look into these people's life after this horrible situation. As Cliff sleeps in dark hospital room, a nurse sneaks in and takes a picture of him with an old 110 camera with a flash cube on top, which I thought was kind of nostalgically fun. Yeah. Again, man, this what really kind of sells this movie is a dark sense of humor and nostalgia. Yeah. Next day, we get to see Cliff's doting parents, and everybody in this movie is a bizarre caricature. Oh, yeah. This is all being told from the cynical perspective of a disenfranchised Cliff Spab. This is how we know we've got the unreliable narrator. So get ready for some weird shit. 
a lot of weird shit. Yeah. So everything is in this movie is not necessarily documenting what happened. It's telling how Chris Spab experienced it all. Or Cliff Spab, not Chris. I'm gonna I'm gonna call him Chris several times throughout the movie. His name's Cliff. I'm a dumbass. Deal with it. I'm gonna call him Spab. I'm gonna call him Spab from now on. Yeah. But it does. It has that really heightened sense of reality where you're like yes. looking at it through a fun mirror, like a funhouse mirror. Yep. Like everybody's yeah, like caricatured out. You know. Yeah, that's exactly right. His mother is proud that he's a celebrity. His dad sees this as an opportunity to cash in. Also, there are several TV movies being made about Cliff and Wendy, but only one of them is authorized by his parents, and that's the one they're promoting because that's the one they're getting paid for. Remember that shit, like, in the 90s? Like, you got, oh, like, yeah. Joey Buttafuoco, and then you got the... <laughs> The one from the ladies' point of view. And, man, there was, like, the Menendez brothers. Like, every major network had a Menendez movie. Yeah, and, like, three days after the trial ended, the movie started hitting TV. So, you know, they were filming them while the trial was going on. Yeah, they're just waiting for that final scene, you know? Yep. It was it was sick, man. 90s were fucking hell. Yeah, it was bad. There is a vapid therapist who wants Spab to talk about what happened to him because that'll help. Or maybe it'll help if he doesn't talk about it. Yeah, that's that was that's like every uh, exchange I've ever had with the therapist. She seemed yeah. like she was on lithium, too. She was like out of it a little bit. <laughs> and this guy, I fucking hate this guy. Agent Parsley from the FBI. He thinks oh, yeah. Spab was in on the whole thing, and by God, he's not going to rest until he uncovers the truth. That guy either is some mean mob boss or, like, yeah, an FBI agent that has no tolerance for bullshit in anything I've seen him in. Yeah, he's the anti-molder. Yeah, except for he was in Texas Chainsaw for the new Next Generation, which has yeah. uh, Joey Lauren Adams in it. And uh, that one, he was, like, some kind of rich cult leader or something i don't know but yeah he's usually like a hard-ass piece of shit in every movie i've seen him in damn i also <laughs> find out that pepsi is offering a million dollars that's seven figures by the way <laughs> if spab will be the face of the dark side of the pepsi generation <laughs> that you know what that tracks they, they would totally pepsi would totally do that and this is also when we find out that there was a cliff spab tv special that was even more successful than the Wendy Fister TV special. Oh, that's yeah, that's when they got he's got like two agents in the in the hospital and they're like, Yeah, you gotta do this. It's like this many points. And yeah, you're doing better <laughs> than Wendy. Way to go, champ. We got him in the thing. He's like, God damn it. And he's just sitting there like kind of catatonic in a hospital room. But that was so damn funny. They're offering you a million dollars. That's seven figures. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case you don't know how much a million is. <laughs> Wendy is on a talk show with the Larry King clone. She is uncertain about her future. Now we see Wendy in bed at night when the phone rings. She answers and it's Spab, but he won't say anything. Now, we know from the interviews that were aired 
from when they were first taken hostage that Cliff is 20 years old and Wendy's 17. And while that might be close enough to not make too much difference, it's enough to make legal difference. You need to throw that one back and wait till it's bigger. <laughs> See a flashback to when they were taken hostage and handcuffed to chairs in the storage room of the convenience store. Then snap back to the present and Spab's brother comes to take him home from the hospital. I love, I love him and his brothers interact. Him yeah. when he's just being himself, when he doesn't have a camera or he's not doing the thing, like just him, like kind of like, ah, nonchalantly. I think that's how the character works. Like whenever he's got to like, you know, be responsible, then he's like, just, oh man. But like the, just him trying to like, just get, through the day is like where the movie kind of shines. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's the, uh, damaged vulnerable cliff spab. And then there's the, it's showtime. Let's turn on the charm cliff spab. And that's the annoying cliff spab right there. But the, uh, holy shit, what am I going to do? Cliff spab. That's, that's the one that I actually like. Yeah. Outside, there's a crowd of reporters. A woman runs up and kisses Spab and steals his beer. She stole my beer, man. (laughs) And I just got that. He just got it. His brother gave it to him in the hospital. A reporter asks how he feels, and Spab answers that he doesn't know, and all the reporters laugh. It's like they brought their own laugh track. Yeah. Except it doesn't make sense to laugh at that. Cliff and Scott pile into a limo and leave as reporters chase after him. Scott warns Cliff that there is some kind of reception at the house, so they decide to stop by the Burger Boy first. James, to the boy. To the boy. Inside the Burger Boy, there is a sign advertising the Spab Burger for 36 cents in honor of the 36 days that he was held hostage. Spab came here to get his last paycheck from Stan. Stan's a jerk. There is also a sign showing Spab as worker of the month. Not employee, but worker. Yeah, because he's not employed there no more. (laughs) Spab is upset because Joe isn't on there with him also. They were supposed to be co-workers of the month, apparently, but Joe's dead. Flashback to the first day of the hostage crisis. Wendy is introducing herself to the camera. Like we said, she's 17 years old. She's a high school student. All these uh, all these kidnappers have pantyhose over their heads. They're like got white plastic suits on with pantyhose on their heads. Yeah, yeah. They got the white Tyvek coveralls. It's creepy. It's like some kind of avant-garde music video or some shit. Yep. Spab introduces himself as Rick Sorth- Forsyth. Pat. And gives a, a fake video, including his hobbies, which include dry-humping cheerleaders. <laughs> Dude, like, yeah, I'm, we can't really quote anything from this movie. No. It's too angsty. <laughs> it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I this, whole, this whole, every interaction between Spab and the kidnappers is Spab giving them the finger. Yeah. It's like everybody else is scared, and then he's the only one that's kind of being a jerk about it like man you ruined my weekend came in here to get a 12 pack and then like a pack of cigarettes and i'm out but no you know yeah yeah and And, and as this goes on we're gonna find out more and more what's behind that it's not bravado it's nihilism yeah straight up 
At the Spab house, the limo arrives to a screaming crowd and a marching band. <laughs> I don't know about you, but if there was a marching band in my subdivision, I'd be turning on the hose. Oh, yeah, no. But like most of his neighbors are there, too. So it's like that's true. They've been watching him on TV every night for the last month. It's it's fucking it, it totally is like like some kind of weird ass funhouse for the, for the rest of the life. This guy. Yeah. You know, who just like, kind of straight up hates everything and like not really down with society and shit. And then like all of a sudden he's like top of the world and shit. Nah, uh, it's, it's recipe for disaster. Yeah. Well, they fight their way through the crowd. A sign is declaring this Cliff Spab Day. And the mayor gives Cliff the key to the city, which Cliff uh, declares to be a big fucking key. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was funny. I like that. Thanks for this and, uh, big fucking key. And he holds it up above his head. And then he leans into the guy and says, who the fuck are you? <laughs> <laughs> That's when he tells him, I'm, I'm the mayor. Says, oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't know for you, but okay. And he like goes into his room. <laughs> A reporter asks if he has seen Wendy and is he in love with her? And that's when another reporter asks about Joe. And well, Joe is still a really raw spot. So Cliff leaves the stage at that point. He gets inside the house and gets grabbed by Agent Parsley, who just happens to be there. And he's trying to play tough, hard ass cop. In the living room, there's a welcome home party with family members that Cliff has to be introduced to because he maybe doesn't know who the fuck they are. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is uh, your cousin Jane, her family. They came from Washington. Oh, hey. They drove from Washington, and then there's this other part of the family. They took the bus. The only one he even, like, acknowledges is, like, there's this little girl with pigtails sitting in the corner. Yeah. He's like, oh, hey, I ain't seen you since you were, like, a baby and shit. And he's like, all right, well. And he goes in his room. Yep. See ya. <laughs> Yeah, he heads into his room with his brother. His mom yells that she cleaned the room. Oh, yeah. And she did, too. He gets in the room and immediately locks himself in and grabs more beer. So Cliff might be an alcoholic. Cliff is definitely an alcoholic. His last name's Spab. <laughs> All right. His last name's Spab. Yeah, so he, that alone probably causes him to drink 12 beers a day. Cliff decides he's going to sing a song. He grabs his guitar. I love that song. Spab and Burger Boy walking down the road. That's the lyrics Burger to the entire song. Spab walking down the road. And he's just like hitting chords. Burger Boy yeah. and Spab walking down the road. Yep. It's a bad song. And he's singing it loud and bad. Oh, yeah. Like you do. Then he turns on some music and Cliff and Scott just decide to trash his bedroom. Totally fuck it up. There's one point where Scott has a foam board poster just around his neck or he's punched a hole in it. Yeah. And he's, he's just dancing like around a, with it around his neck. Like a collar, like a Jacobin yeah. collar. Like, they trash the room until Cliff's dad comes in and tells him to turn that damn music down. His dad warns him not to fuck up the chance for him and his mother to get rich off of his celebrity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Flashback to the hostage videos. Wendy and Spab are are engaging in some banter. They do a little thing where he just goes, hey, Wendy, hey, Spab, Wendy, Spab, Wendy, Spab. Kind of like Archer and Lana. Yeah, spot on. And then they're going to sing a duet. 
Uh, They end up singing the theme to Growing Pains. Yeah. And Wendy kind of breaks down. She is terrified and Cliff comfort. Cut to Spab talking to Monica, Joe Dice's sister. Spab is going to go over and see her. And he goes into the backyard and just starts spinning in a circle as the voiceover explains that Cliff was one year older than Joe and they had been best friends for their entire life. They went to the same schools. They were in the same classes. They even did the same job at Burger Bowl. And now Joe's, it's going to take him some, some work to get over that. Cliff is talking to Monica about how nuts things have become. Monica's asking about Wendy, and it, it seems like Monica's kind of jealous of Wendy. Monica then tells Spab to take a bath, kisses him, and heads off to another room, leaving Spab to flash back again to their escape attempt. Then Spab finds Monica sitting on the bed smoking. She invites Spab in. She has made a shrine to her brother, Joe. And she's upset because everybody has forgotten about Joe. Now, Cliff and Wendy are the heroes and nobody remembers Joe. And then Cliff and Monica end up having sex as Teenage Whore by Hole plays in the background. Because the 90s. Because <laughs> 90s, yeah. And it couldn't be a movie inspired by Kurt Cobain without a song by Hole. <laughs> Next day, Monica is giving Cliff a ride somewhere. He's going to disappear for a while, so she drops him off and gives him a sandwich bag just stuffed with cash. Apparently, there's an organization called Friends of the Hostages that's been sending them money for nice. Next is a part of the movie that I titled "Spab Meets Beavis and Butthead," starring Toby McGuire as Butthead. <laughs> for real that's toby mcguire is like one of his yeah. first movie performances ever yeah. this is al and johnny they are two burnouts playing guitar on a bus stop bench when they recognize spab and start to fangirl all over themselves this was totally me when this movie came out like that was my <laughs> age i was like <laughs> just some dumbass kid on a bench outside of walmart just hanging out playing arcade games and shit I mean, when you watch this as an uh, now at our yeah. age, you go, look at those fucking morons. But if you watched it then at that age, you would go, that is so much fun. I love doing that shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they ask him if it hurt when he got shot. And well, fuck yeah, it hurt. And then Johnny asks about Joe Dice and then immediately starts crying when he remembers that Joe is dead. And Cliff finds these guys really entertaining. They are sharing a joint with him when Moro Streeter pulls up to get Spab. Moro appears to be a rich kid in a shitty beat up car. That's yeah, no, that's him. Also, I'm pretty sure he's a dealer or something because that that's the only rich kids in shitty beat up cars I know. I mean, that car was straight from the scrapyard. The windows were all covered yeah, with it's grime. Like- algae and shit on it from where like they pulled it out of a lake yeah it's been parked under a tree for like 15 years back windows broken out the roof is completely rusted it's like just uh black soot coming out of every fucking uh hole on this fucking thing and that's kind of common for the cars in this movie honestly yeah shit man he took my joint yeah they leave and al and johnny are celebrating spab taking their joint 
And one of them yells, I rolled that shit myself. I Hell, rolled yeah. that myself. <laughs> and they start rocking out again. You know, fucking those guys. Well, Moro and Spab are headed to Morrow's house and they are watching Wendy and Agent Parsley on Phil Donahue. Reality programming gives reality a bad name. Bad name, yeah. <laughs> so we can this, quote this movie. <laughs> yeah, we can. Yes, we can. I mean, this was around the time that Geraldo Rivera had his show with the Nazi dwarfs and and all that weird stuff. was. Uh, I think, yeah, Jerry Springer just hit it wasn't they you know they hadn't gone completely like right crazy and yeah it was like every every like two or three channels there was a fucking talk show on wendy explains that people really don't know either one of them either her or spab and that they're actually a lot of light donahue wants to know where spab is apparently it has been assumed that spab has disappeared now I mean, he was at Monica's house last night. Monica dropped him off this morning. Morrow picked him up. Apparently, it's been a few hours and nobody knows where he is. So he's he, there's a manhunt, maybe. Well, uh, when he's when he gets picked up in a car by dude Morrow, he pick he pulls a paper up from the thing, and there's a headline, and it says, uh, "The Angry Homecoming." Yeah, that Angry Homecoming. Yeah, so like with that in the news and then like he just he's not there and no one can find him for interviews and shit you know you yeah. probably got those agents looking for him and shit so the word's probably gone out he's he's gone on the ground or that he's just disappeared you know yeah phil donahue wants to know if maybe he's on the road or has somebody killed him because he hasn't been seen since leaving the house like an hour ago morrow has a painting of a screaming medusa on the wall too that was weird that's a famous painting and there's a it shows up later in the movie too. It <laughs> is Medusa by Caravaggio, created by Michelangelo Maurice de Caravaggio in one once in 1596 and again in 1597. Both depict the moment from Greek mythology in which Gorgon Medusa is killed by the demigod Perseus, but the Medusas are also self-portraits. I don't know why like that that one picture is like in a bunch of movies, but I have seen it like so many damn times. It's weird. Phil Donahue clone explains that no network would initially air the tapes until the gunman killed Kim Martin and Milt Morris. And viewer discretion is advised. And that's when we see a clip of the hostages. The gunmen say they're going to let one of them go, but the hostages must decide which one. They decide to let Kim go. And she thinks she's being released, but she's actually being written out of the show. And the gunman shoot her in the head and she's laying on face down on the floor in a pool of blood. So this just got real, real, real fast. Yeah. Morrow takes Spab to Crestridge Mall. This is a strip mall. And he tells Spab his 15 minutes are almost up. And Spab is doing a sad walk in front of the shops. As Creep by Radiohead plays. Wouldn't be a 90s movie without this song on the soundtrack. That's correct. Requirement of every sad walk in every 90s. Spab is doing his slow-mo sad walk past a store that has a sign proclaiming Spab t-shirts are now in stock. He watches Morrow, who is meeting up with a long-haired guy outside a shop, and they head inside the shop. The t-shirt shop that Spab is in front of 
has several different SPAB t-shirts. They have a skull and crossbones with the slogan SPAB rules. They have a full-length photo of SPAB, and they have a circle with SFW, which is SPAB's catchphrase, so fucking what? Now, those are their SPAB t-shirts. Folks in the crowd are wearing SFW baseball caps, and SFW is apparently how SPAB copes with life and a life of hard times and perceived injustice. Yeah. Also, like, they got benefit albums with, like, it's like his pictures on the CD when it's got, like, a bunch of bands and stuff. Yeah. And uh, they got TVs playing uh, monologues of him during his shit. It, doing the sfw speech like where you know he kind of breaks it down for you playing while they're just like glued to it like zombies you know it's like a church service or something the way they're fucking fixated the tv right and man yeah it's, it's kind of like punched me in the gut one time when i saw this well inside a vacant shop with newspapers glued up to the windows morrow is beating up the long-haired guy that he met outside and spab wants to know what the hell he's doing Moro tells him to go wait in the car. In the car afterward, uh, Moro wants Spab to hold a gun for him. Uh, Apparently, Moro thought this guy broke the back window out of his car, so he beat him up and stole his gun. I don't know. It's weird stuff. It doesn't really fit with the story. There must have been some stuff cut out. Oh, yeah. Well, they argue and Spab jails Morrow to just take him to the bus station. He flips on the radio and a news, re- a re- news report says that Spab has been sighted at the Crestview Mall and Agent Parsley is conducting a manhunt to bring Spab in for questioning related to the split image gunman. He still thinks Spab was in on the whole hostage thing, which kind of makes sense because Spab was awfully calm, like he knew nothing was going to happen. Yeah. Instead, they go to Morrow's girlfriend's house, and they find Sandy passed out drunk. Morrow picks her up and dumps her in the bathtub. (laughs) While he's doing that, Spab tries to call Wendy, but Wendy's mom says, Look, (laughs) she's a teenage girl. Stay the fuck away, pervert. Hey, he's right. Yep. She doesn't say that. She says, It would be better if you two just didn't spend any more time. She's very diplomatic. About stay the fuck away from the teenage girls, pervert. <laughs> Morrow hollers to Spab to bring him another bottle of Sandy's cheap-ass champagne. Cliff opens up the refrigerator, and there's nothing in the refrigerator except bottles of cheap champagne. He brings Mandy another bottle, and Morrow has a story to tell about how... Mandy, her name is Sandy. Morrow has a story to tell about how Sandy tricked him into getting her pregnant. And Spab has another flashback during this story. But then it turns out that, you know, Sandy actually did not lie about being on the pill. She lied about being pregnant so that Morrow would give her money to spend on champagne. Yeah, she was going to use the uh, abortion money and she just bought like a box of champagne. Yeah, it's funny because I gave her $300. I counted it. You gave me 200 and $28. Whatever, lady. <laughs> As everybody has their own bottle of champagne at this point. Yes, everyone is drinking from their own bottle of champagne. Well, Sandy throws her bottle of champagne at Morrow, and it shatters on the wall, and that's when Morrow pulls a gun and puts it to her head. So Sandy 
recognizes Spab at this point. Been calling him Spab the whole time, but I guess she no. was too drunk for uh, it to register. I don't know. When he first came in the bathroom, she's like, who's this? And Marlo's like, it's Fred Nietzsche. <laughs> she's so out of it. She doesn't know what the fuck's going yeah. on. You know? Well, she's kind of starstruck when she recognizes Spab. And she says that Spab helped her through some pretty tough times. Maro and Spab are going to leave, but not before Sandy flashes Spab and yells, so fucking what? Woo! <laughs> Another flashback. Spab is getting angry at the gunmen and daring them to shoot him. They are not going to shoot him. So he gets up and rushes the gunman who pistol whipped him. Back in the present, Spab is driving and Morrow is passed out in the passenger seat. And they arrive at Morrow's sister's house. Turns out Janet is a lawyer who can dispose of Morrow's gun and help Spab somehow. Wow. I didn't know Morrow had a sister. I didn't either. Neither did Spab. Yeah. And it looked like she was getting ready to go out, but I think we're going to find out she was getting ready to stay in. Yeah. That chick uh, played in Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. Yes, she did. They are watching Wendy on another TV show, and a Sam Donaldson clone is interviewing her at home, asking about her relationship with Spab. She says that people don't understand him, and she does want to see him again. And Janet attempts to seduce Spab with chocolate-covered peanuts. Hey, it works for me, man. Works for me. Hey, I worked with a woman who brought me lunch at work one day, and we've been married 17 years now. <laughs> no joke. The old Adam. <laughs> the stomach. Quickest way to a guy's heart. Exactly. Shit, man, I could eat. All right. <laughs> <laughs> She, Janet takes Janet is is Morrow's sister. Janet takes Spab out to the lake and hands Spab the gun and asks him how his pitching arm is. So Spab throws the gun out into the lake and then Janet kisses him because well that you do. There is a musical interlude. The camera pans up to the stars and then back down to Spab and Janet smoking. That's how you know they did it. Yeah. It's a cheap way of did it. <laughs> Janet offers to let Spab hide out at her place, and when he's ready to sue people, she will be there as his lawyer. Well, Janet and Morrow have a plan. They are going to represent Spab and sue a whole bunch of people, and Spab will get half the money, and Janet and Morrow will split the other half. And Spab says, fuck that, and walks out. Wait, it's about. I think it's about to. We're, we're coming up for the, like, the best part of the movie. Well, yeah, yeah, we are. Next day, another beater stops and picks up Spab as he's walking down the street, and we get to meet Dolly and Earl. Oh, man, yeah, okay. This is a drunk couple who are big fans of Spab. They represent the disenfranchised working-class people who identify with Spab's rebellious anti-establishment attitude. Also, they're like 10 or 20 years older than Spab. Yes. They head down the road in a beat-up rust bucket Chevy Nova, drinking Fireball and smoking a joint. And Spab is a pretty charismatic speaker. The radio announces that the police have issued an APB for Cliff Spab for beating up a long-haired guy at the Crest Ridge shopping mall. <laughs> that, was, that was totally his buddy, though. Yeah, that was totally his buddy. Well, Dolly and Earl are going to help Spab evade the police because, by God, this is America. 
they head down the road with Earl waving a gun and singing a drunken, fucked up version of America the Beautiful and firing into the air. <laughs> and then they run out of gas. Yeah, as soon as they run out of gas, the couple both like just turn on each other and start oh, yelling. Yeah. Motherfucker, you see? What? I gave you the gas money. I thought that was drinking money. You know, it was like, why weren't you keeping an eye on the gas gauge? Because I was driving. You're the co-pilot. You're the one that's supposed to be keeping an eye on those things. I can't do that and drive both. Yeah. <laughs> well, Spab takes this opportunity to just open the back door and sneak out of the car as it's rolling down the road. And then he jumps a fence and heads off of, across the and there's a voiceover from Spab explaining that his life is completely spinning out of control. Flashback to Cliff Spab for Bear Aspirin. <laughs> He's asking Wendy, will Joe prefer Wendy's potato leonese or Wendy's stuffing? Wait, what were the choice? What were the choices? Potatoes leonese or Wendy's stuffing? I think I'll prefer Wendy's muffin. Yes, he definitely would prefer <laughs> Wendy's muffin. Spab head checks into a hotel, and he charms a desk clerk who, for some reason, is wearing a neck brace. I love that. <laughs> it's just completely random. It has no part of the story, and it's awesome. It just breaks like up in, a uh, really mundane scene and turns it into an absurd scene. Yeah, it's like in, uh, what was it, 16 Candles? Yeah. Like, yeah, there's, like, one character in a neck brace, and they never explain it. She's not really a main character and shit, but there's, like, a couple of scenes, like, she's trying to drink out of the water fountain and shit, you know? And there's, like, a part yeah. of the dance, and it's, like, it just makes that shit even more over the top, totally like a fucking movie, you know? Well, she tells him the only room they have available is a suite, and that's okay, because he's got the sandwich bag full of cash. Fuck yeah. She asks for his name, and he says his name is Robert Plant. <laughs> Spab is in his suite. He's got MTV playing on several different televisions in different rooms back when MTV still played music videos. But it's not MTV. It's TVM, which is legally distinct from MTV. Yeah, it still sucks, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then we get to see a commercial for a made-for-TV movie based on Spab and Wendy. Starring oh Gary Coleman and Dory Smelling. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Called So Damn What. And, like, Gary Coleman's in, like, a leather jacket, and he's got, like, a Terminator haircut, and he's like, come on, say it with me. <laughs> so and then, damn what. And Dory Smelling is played by Stephanie Cambria, and she hasn't, she didn't do a whole lot in film or TV, she was in two episodes of Doogie Howser. Oh, man, no wonder. But yeah, she, she does a great job of playing not Dory Smelling. Yes, she is Dory Smelling, which is legally distinct. I'm pretty sure that's like a fucking uh, garbage fell kid, though. I'm sure it is, yeah. Flipping through the channels, Spiff, uh, Spiff, <laughs> Spiff Spab. Spaceman Spiff, reporting for duty. Flipping through the channels, Spab finds a news reporter interviewing a man who claims he saw Cliff Spab commit suicide in the parking lot. And I, I love, love this, guy. this guy. He's such a great actor. He's been in like fucking everything. He's like one of those dudes that just shows up. He should be uh, much more well known than he is, even as a character actor. This is Frank Collison. 
Yeah. He played Wash Hogwallop in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? He played unnamed characters in Hill Street Blues, Moonlighting, and Amazon Women on the Moon. He was he was Hobby in the Blob, the the hobo who got his his hand eaten by the Blob. Yeah, he appeared in Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, Quantum Leap. He was the Cardassian Gul Delac in Star Trek: The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. And he was in that amazing HBO series Carnival. Yeah, that that was gonna. That's one I was gonna bring up. He's just great. He's got like this look, you know. Yeah, he's got a long face and a super expressive, very mobile mouth. Yeah, and he looks like a cartoon character. He looks like something from Mad Magazine, you know. He really does. Yeah. And uh, yeah, whenever he's in, they'll usually feed him like one or two goofy lines, and he'll deliver. He, he'll make you stop and laugh. <laughs> Especially this shit, man. Like, this when he's hog wallop gone up at R U N N O F T. I love Frank Collis. He's fantastic. Another channel reports that Cliff Spab is dead from an apparent suicide. That's when Cliff picks up the phone and calls TVM. To give them the news scoop that, in fact, he is still alive and he is willing to appear on TV. Cut to Cliff Spab and Guar in the music video for So Fucking What. I love Guar, man. I got to see them. They came to Nashville and they played this place called the Brooklyn Bowl. And okay, it was fucking awesome. But like the where the windows are, you can see the stage from the from the sidewalk so i look behind so me and really old... didn't have to buy a ticket not really but I, I look behind me and there's like all these old people like out there like tourists walking around you know nashville at night yeah and they're just stops uh, like just struck and they're like what the hell's going on is, <laughs> is that a monster there's like a four or like an eight foot tall monster on stage and he's taking a shit on the first three rolls and you know <laughs> i'm loving it but they look horrified guar rules the the crawl is announcing a contest. If you can guess the exact number of bullseye beers consumed by fun, the Fun Stop hostages, you will win a weekend with Chris Spab. Cliff Spab. <laughs> you call him Chris. You take a drink every time I call Spab Chris. You are not going to make it to the end of this podcast. That's all there is to Shit, take a drink every time I call Spab Spab. <laughs> Wendy is watching the video in her bedroom, which is filled with stuffed teddy bears. Cliff is at a retirement community with three old ladies announcing his 10 favorite videos. Turns out that uh, TVM could not, uh, told him he could come on TV, provided he didn't say words like damn shit, piss, fuck, and motherfucker. Especially words like motherfucker. Right. So, since he can't say damn shit, piss, fuck, and motherfucker, he's going to include songs that are about or have in their title the words damn shit, piss, fuck, and motherfucker. Especially words like motherfucker. <laughs> also, uh, that old lady on the right that's sitting in a chair by herself, kind of. Yeah. Because he's sitting on a couch with two old ladies, and there's like one. Right. That old lady, I don't know, she should have like a Guinness Book of World Records of like famous TV movie grandmas, because she, she's been a lot of shit. Probably a professional yeah. extra. Oh yeah, she is. But like, uh, like you know, I, I, I couldn't even count on the like both my hands how many times I've seen her and shit. You know, like she really sticks out. Right. Well, he is going to dedicate 
his next bullseye beer to Wendy. Tattoo Spab at a concert. And the first three rows of the concert are reporters. That's kind of weird. Yeah, it's a red flag. That's a crappy concert. One of them asked why Split Image made the hostage. I don't know. I guess they were bored. And another reporter asked Spab if he thinks he's an alcoholic. Uh, Spab is flippant and avoiding all of these questions until a reporter asks about Joe. That's when he gets serious and says that he really means Spab's brother Scott shows up at the hotel with his girlfriend and a giant beach ball full of beer. Beer balls, man. I ain't seen one of those in a minute. <laughs> in the elevator, we get to meet Phil and Rita, a middle-aged couple who are there at some kind of convention. They got name tags on. Yeah. And Phil they are fans of Spab. Uh, what's really weird is uh, Phil Connors and Rita are named after the characters in Groundhog's Day. Yes, they are. Spab invites them up to his suite, and Phil says, "Oh, you know, we've got to, we've got to meet some friends." And Rita says, "You know what? So fucking what? What? Yeah." <laughs> and Phil is horrified. <laughs> He's looking at his wife like he doesn't know who the hell she is anymore. Oh, come on! You know why you married her? She's a party girl. Yeah. Uh, Cliff agrees to introduce Spinal Trap, which is legally distinct from Spinal Tap, uh-huh. at their concert on Friday. And Phil Connors is very uncomfortable here, but Rita convinces him to stay. You got to experience life. You have to live to experience life. Scott's girlfriend, Kristen, just wants to hang out around Cliff. At the concert, Spab appears before a crowd sh- chanting his name. And you can see he's really getting tired celebrity status. And the cameras are all those old-fashioned cameras with big flashbulbs. Yeah, like you, you use like to convey like, uh, oh man, what's the Great Muppet Caper or whatever, where like Gonzo's a photojournalist? Yep. Like those old cameras, like a box, yes. but like a big-ass flash thing on the top. Right. Like, decade am I in? <laughs> like, what, what's going on? <laughs> well, the flashbulbs, the flashes, they, they trigger a flashback for, for Spab. This is where we pick back up at the escape to see that Joe shot the cameraman. Well, he actually shot all the way through the camera, through the guy's eye into his head, killing him. And it was a pretty gruesome makeup. Yeah. Then he shoots another gunman who's on the ground. He just shoots him like five or six times. This is the guy that he actually stole the gun from in the first place. Joe is exchanging fire with two other gunmen who are out in the store hiding behind shelves. When he gets shot in the chest, killing him. Cliff grabs up the gun and pushes Wendy aside, shooting one gunman, and there's one left. And the lights are sparking the whole time they's doing, just like the flashbulbs in the crowd. Cliff gets shot in the shoulder, and then he manages to kill the final gunman. And we get an overhead shot of all the dead gunmen laying in the convenience store, and a crying Wendy cradling the injured spab. That overhead shot reminds me a lot of uh, Taxi Driver. Yeah. Back at the concert, Spab takes off his hat and tosses it into the crowd where he sees a guy who looks a lot like Joe Dice. It is Joe Dice. Well, it's his ghost. Well, I don't know. I think he saw somebody caught it and he saw Joe. Yeah. And suddenly the entire crowd are holding up their lighters and this looks a lot less like a concert and a lot more like a candlelight vigil. Yep. Cliff heads back into his dressing room and Wendy is there waiting for him. 
They drive back to the fun stop, which is completely boarded up now. It's going to be demolished to build a memorial park. And Wendy tells Spab that he is full of shit, that he likes to pretend he's just some guy, but she knows that he actually has a message. And that message is that nothing really matters. And Cliff says, you know, you're right. I am full of shit. He said, there's plenty of things that do matter to him. Things like Wendy. Aw. Aw. Cut to Wendy and Spab in bed. Just going to completely gloss over the statutory rape part of this and stick to the movie. They talk, they're talking about how nobody really understands what they went. Probably. Absolutely. Yeah. Wendy and Spab are at the Madison Heights High School Auditorium addressing an audience. The crowd starts chanting, so fucking what? There's voiceover from Spab explaining that he had a strange feeling, but he didn't really know what was going on. The camera pans through the crowd to a girl who is not standing up chanting. She is sitting down crying. And then she takes a gun from her purse, shouts, everything matters, and starts firing. Boom. News reporter says Wendy and Spab were shot by Barbara Babsweiler. Everything matters has become the new trending catchphrase, and Babsweiler is the newest flavor of the moment. We get to see a magazine cover with a photo of Babs and the headline, My Best Friend is a Tree. Agent Parsley is completely over Cliff Spab. Instead, he is determined to prosecute Babsweiler. And Star Maker magazine... <laughs> which is legally distinct from the star. Oh, yeah. Has a cover story that Spab, Wendy, Babs, and an alien were all part of a four-way love triangle. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> See, Babs' lawyer is wearing a T-shirt, and instead of SFW in a circle, it's got EM, everything matters, in a circle. And he is explaining to reporters that by shooting Wendy and Spab, Babs was doing nothing but exercising her First Amendment right to free speech. Ain't that some shit? This is apparently an NRA lawyer. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and the Ted Koppel clone has a live interview coming up with Spab, with Babs, Babs and Spab. Yeah, they're like on purpose. <laughs> We're not going to see the Ted Koppel clone. We are going to cut to the hospital room where Wendy and Spab are sitting or laying in side-by-side -side beds. They've each been shot in the shoulder. Spab got shot in the right shoulder this time. He got shot in the left shoulder last time. So he's been shot in both sides. Wendy got shot in the left shoulder. And they're sitting there watching the Sam Donaldson clone interviewing Babs from her home. And he asks the same question of Babs that he asked of Wendy. He asks about her relationship with Cliff Spab. And the exact same words Wendy used, she says, I have to be very careful about what I say about Cliff Spab. Spab turns off the TV, and Spab and Wendy reenact some of their fun stop banter. And that's when Spab asks Wendy, are we getting married or what? And Wendy gets a big old grin and says, hey guy, you fucking know it. And roll credit. Roll credit. There were parts of this movie that were comic genius. Yeah. And it's all in... Not really, I don't want to say delivery, but that's not it. It's like they pick the right, it's all in the casting. Yes, it's all in the casting. They're like um, Dolly um, and Earl. For a minute there, I thought Dolly was played by uh, Kate Flannery. Um, 
but it's just a, a slight resemblance, completely different person, but it's still a fantastic, fantastic casting. Yeah. Um, Alan Johnny probably could have put just about anybody in. I don't know, man. What's his name? Spider-Man did pretty good. But yeah, Eddie like everybody in one of those roles. Character. Anything you put uh, Frank Collison in, he's going to be fantastic. Oh, yeah. Having Gary Coleman yelling, so damn what, was fantastic. <laughs> I loved it. Especially if you look, if you remember that era where it was like, yeah. Yeah, it was like he was doing his Mr. T impression or his, uh, what are you talking about, Willis? No. Yeah, great. Dark movie, really dead spot, but I like like kind of like the subtext of the movie yeah love the soundtrack and casting was great yeah the casting was fantastic all right man i think that's a podcast hell yeah we hope you enjoyed this podcast we had a lot of fun making it be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us you can follow cdf pod on facebook and instagram or at cdf underscore pod on twitter you can also visit our website at cdfpod.com and don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to patreon.com slash cdfpod join us next time as we explore another movie's so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made.